Hello and welcome to The Money Movement. I am here with Michael Saylor, uh, the chairman and CEO of MicroStrategy. Uh, Michael, it's awesome to have you uh, on The Money Movement. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So lots to explore today. Um, you know, this podcast uh, is sort of trying to chronicle the sort of broader movement that's going on around this transformation with money and literally the way that money moves. But at the foundation of that, it really is the inspiration that that came from that kernel of Bitcoin, um, which, which, you know, kind of came into our world uh, over 10 years ago and, and certainly inspired me as a as a tech entrepreneur. I, I think like you, I spent most of my career for the prior 20 years building internet software and tech-related businesses um, and and then got kind of bit by the, you know, the, the crypto bug, as it were, um, uh, about 10 years ago. Um, but it was really this very, you know, profound set of ideas on what was going to become possible in the world um, with an invention like Bitcoin. But may, maybe just to start just with that kind of framing, Michael, um, I, I'd love to just hear you speak for a couple minutes about your coming into this space, you know, what the fundamental kind of aha moments for yourself, and maybe also just given your background and having sort of been through multiple technology revolutions um, in, in software, um, kind of connecting what you've seen historically in, in tech and software and how that has influenced your thinking about Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think I was um, catalyzed, uh, propelled into the space by the crisis of uh, 2020, the pandemic. And March of 2020, I think everybody started questioning a lot of values. And uh, I think my conclusion is conventional treasury strategy is broken. There's no point in making money anymore if you're going to keep it. And so the idea of, of cash being trash was something that was drummed into my head March of 2020 when I realized I had $500 million of cash and it was going to be deemed worthless by, it was already deemed worthless by the investing public. At one point, uh, you know, our stock in essence traded at 50% uh, at more than the cash level that we had in the balance sheet. So the conclusion was it was hopeless. Like when I concluded that saving in cash was hopeless, right? You have nothing to lose. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, this has become mainstream view now, right? I mean, Dalio says cash is trash. I think people are saying the 60-40 bond portfolio, equity bond allocation is a broken model. Uh, inflation is here. Hyperinflation is the rest of the world. It's not going away. The Federal Reserve said there is no inflation and interest rates will be zero forever. And now the Federal Reserve says, well, if we could just keep inflation from, from increasing beyond 8% forever, we'll declare a victory. So um, that, was an, that was an impetus. You know, what, when you're trying something and it's not working for year after year after year after year, and you're facing a mortality event, it's either a slow death or a fast death, or do something. Uh, then you have to do something, or you got to sell yourself, right? Or, or just you know, commit economic suicide. So that's why we did what we did. I think uh, 
my my background in technology is digital transformation, and I watched how the digital transformation of music or maps or documents or relationships or communications created Amazon and Apple and Google and Facebook mm-hmm. and trillion-dollar entities. And it was pretty clear to me that if you can digitally transform something, it wouldn't be just as good as the thing that you had. It would be a hundred times better, maybe a thousand times better. And that's pretty obvious today uh, that, you know, who remembers Kodak? What's Kodak's market cap? What is Xerox's market cap? Absolutely. Right. Companies like, uh, you know, like uh, the document companies, the, you know, the photo companies, Instagram, Facebook, all of these companies have just outstripped their 20th century analogs. Yeah. So people figured that out in 2020, but the paradigm shift is when you're in the business, you can't contemplate the digital transformation obsoleting you or such a horrifying thought that you don't want to embrace it. That's the paradigm yeah, shift. And, and, and like you said, in a lot of those cases, right, where you you had these 100x better products, they, they were both 100x better products and they completely ch- transformed the unit economics and and I- even the fundamental pricing models of, of those products. Like we, we have ubiquitous free communications that we're not paying a per minute charge, right? Like, they, you know, that's just one example. Or we have infinite storage and transmission of photos. We're not, we don't pay for film or go pay someone to process it or have storage that we have to worry about. Right. So the, like the, the fundamental kind of unit economics shift as well. And I, I think that that gets in the way too of incumbents, obviously, right. They're, they're, they're like, well, they, they have a business that is, has a structure and a market structure and a pricing structure and, and unit economics. And it's just hard to get out of the way of that. Yeah. Can, can you go from digitizing the Ram McNally Atlas to self-driving cars? Because right. the implication was the map is going to plug into your car and drive you where you want to go. And maybe even the map is going to tell you, don't go there. It's closed and people hate it. Right. And that and that's what makes Google a trillion dollar company. And that's why Ram McNally you know, is not with us. Right. I mean, it's so, so if you understand that, then I guess March 2020, the first thing to happen was getting slugged in the head with a two by four. You're failing. Your money's going to zero. And the second observation was, oh my, there's actually been a transfer, a digital transformation of property, currency, and energy. And that, and I, I didn't quite appreciate just how profound it was. I just knew I needed a solution, so I started looking for a, a digital gold. Right, I, I wanted a a non-sovereign store of value asset. So it really legitimate. It literally was a question of do I buy five hundred million dollars worth of gold, or in this case, it was two hundred fifty million dollars of gold, or do I buy two hundred fifty million dollars of crypto gold? Mm-hmm. And if it's crypto gold, well, I think engineered synthetic gold is better than gold. And now I just had to parse through all of the hundreds of options to conclude that Bitcoin was synthetic gold. And that was enough to solve my problem in the near term, which, you know, how do you, you got a mortality situation. You actually have to find synthetic gold. I find it. And uh, that was Bitcoin. Now, what happened next was the, the uh, exploding appreciation that there is a profound demand for two things in this world. One thing is digital property. And I classify Bitcoin as digital property. 
uh, not just gold, right? Gold is the start, but if you go beyond gold and say a non-sovereign store of value, you might as well convert <clears throat> a second investment home. You're going to Airbnb, and you might as well convert uh, land and buildings and any other store of value sure. or asset. So, so cryptographic tokenized forms of assets. Yeah. So that's the first observation, and the second observation is. There's a profound demand for digital currency, and that's your business. The, there are 8 billion people on the planet, and in the near term, they want a, a high-velocity money, we'll call currency, a medium of exchange they can, they can use to pay for things day by day, tax-free, in a compliant fashion, so that 8 billion people can trade with 100 million companies yeah. cross borders using yeah. a computer. So that's, yeah. that's a need. And then the other need is those 8 billion people, if you look out more than four years, if you've got money you want to store for four years, eight years, 12 years, 40 years, a lifetime, they want property. And buying a building in Africa, buying a bar of gold, buying a security, it's either not practical, it's not safe, or it's not efficient, right? When you buy property, you have to buy scarce, desirable property with a low maintenance cost that's portable, that has no counterparty risk. And so what you have is a, is a real huge demand for digital currency and digital property. And, th and once you understand that, then you realize that this is the digital transformation of currency property. And, and of course, I'm an engineer. So I see if, if it's a conservative thing, it's energy. So it's digital energy. And we never had in the first wave, in the mobile wave, we never had digital energy, digital property, digital currency. And it's such a profound paradigm shift that everybody in the world using this stuff can't imagine it be, what it means to be digitally transformed. So you've got this little turbulent shockwave where some people immediately get it, right? Some people got it 10 years ago. Yeah. You, you got in the business early. Some people get it when they have a war, right? Wars cause you to get it. The war in Ukraine, the Russian sanctions, the pandemic, the war on COVID, the war on fill in the blank, right? Finally, that caused you to get it. And then there are people that will watch it and it'll evolve and they'll become like the, the next layer of adopters and then the sure. late adopters your, and everybody gets it. Or, you know, Jeffrey Moore, technology adoption, life cycle curve, whatever, whatever you know, meta metaphor you want on, on that. Yeah, I... I agree. It's interesting. I mean, look, I'd love to drill into a few things. I think, um, you know, it's very easy. And, and you know, as you noted, right, I, I've been engaged in this for about 10 years and have been through a lot of different cycles of this. Um, and, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on um, the, the broader implications of this technology for application in a lot of areas, including the digitization of fiat, um, as well as uh, my own deeply held conviction about the, the long-term role that Bitcoin can play in the world, which I think is, I think is, 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 you know, potentially extraordinary. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm looking at it through a few different lenses, but I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very easy uh, during a, you know, a, a period of, of, you know, risk off or liquidity issues or other things that are happening right now. It's, it's very easy for people to like start, you know, kind of throwing up the straw man and, you know, punching at it and, uh, and, and, and effectively, you know, making, making, 
you know, yet another pronouncement of the death of you know Bitcoin or, or what have you, which, which I, I, I don't want to get into that because I don't believe it. But I think um, I think the more interesting thing, though, is is taking that long view. And um, I think um, sometimes I'm asked, you know, you know, what do I think Bitcoin will be worth, you know, 10 years from now, whatever that whatever that is. And, um, yeah, and and what what does that arc look like? And I, I remember really well, um, because we were in the midst of it, the the there was the sort of ideological wars in the in the crypto community that happened around block size and around the Bitcoin block size. And what it really had to do was there was a there was a, a group of, of of people and firms that were interested in um, you know how do we how do we scale this to do you know transactions for the masses and and how do we enable the Bitcoin itself to 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 potentially do more you know host more code or or execute computation um, and then there were there was another camp which was you know we no 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 Bitcoin is Bitcoin we got to kind of keep it at what it is and 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 it, it's not meant to be a a, a, a high throughput uh, smart contract platform or it's not meant to be a, a high throughput transactional platform and in any case like the the you know the kind of digital gold narrative really took hold at that point when 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 Bitcoin Core kind of sort of stayed focused in a sense and and I think one could argue that was really smart like that that focus has has proven itself out to be really really valuable there are other technologies that are being built you can discuss whether you believe in them or not but um but fundamentally that kind of digital gold piece was there and the view at least from I think some of the smartest long-term thinkers on Bitcoin at the time which is again kind of putting this back in like the 2015 2016 time frame, were you know, were kind of of the view that the digital gold era of Bitcoin, meaning where it's fundamentally um, utilized as a store of value, um, could take another. It, it could the monetization, the monetary base that could kind of, kind of come into that as a savings vehicle might last thirty years, or it might last forty years. It might last some very long period of time before it was viable as a unit of account basically before it was viable as um as a complete substitution for sovereign money um and i'm interested in your view on you know that you know wh wh where is that crossover point is that a 5 year a 10 year a 15 year a 30 year journey just at a high level how do you think about that and then there's a whole set of implications that come from that, which I want to kind of talk about as well. Yeah, my, well, my thoughts on all those subjects is the big blockers were profoundly wrong. And it's pretty obvious they're wrong because Bitcoin Cash has lost 99.5% of its value in five years against Bitcoin. So the market's trying to tell you it doesn't like that idea. But the idea was wrong on the, on the surface because if you're changing the protocol economically, it's an ethical lapse. And so when you actually change the, when you monkey with the block size, you're screwing with the economics for the miners. And when you're, when you're messing up the, econ the economics for the miners, you're undermining the, the integrity of transaction fees. And when you do that, you're undermining the integrity of the security of the network. So generally, I think my view at this point is, 
is any kind of software upgrade that materially changes the protocol for any reason other than to cure a fatal security bug is probably an ethical lapse, right? And you, and you need to be very, very conservative on those things, like extremely conservative, because you're changing the economics for all the actors. And, uh, and so that's why the right answer is don't hard fork the thing. Don't change it. Literally, just don't change it, right? P engineers want to change things. But if your solution to improving a crypto is write code, it's probably an ethical lapse because the, the integrity from Bitcoin comes from uh, work, right? You want to improve the security of Bitcoin, you spend billions of dollars buying Bitcoin mining equipment and turn it on. And then you spend billions on energy and turn it on. Or you, you want to improve Bitcoin, you buy billion dollars of Bitcoin and you put it in cold storage. That's expensive, right? You want to tweak a line of code because it makes you feel better. That's cheap, but it's a real moral hazard. And so I think that, um, that uh, the Bitcoiners that fought that, that block size war and wanted, they were on the right side of ethics and, and technology. I think if you look out in the future, the, the, the assets that win in the next hundred years are the ones that are technically sound, ethically sound, and economically sound, right? And, and uh, if, you, if you're monkeying with hyper-complicated software such that your network gets hacked or it crashes or it goes down, it's not technically sound. And every time you, every time you push a hard fork, you ought to say to yourself, in about a decade, I'll know whether I introduced a fatal bug. <laughs> That's how risky it is. Like five to 10 years, probably 10 years later, you can say, well, I think the code might be technically sound. That's just how sensitive that is with regard to something like a, ba a layer one base layer. And I, and I think with regard to economics, right? You, you can't change the economics of the network. So when you destroy the miner's economics, you destroy the integrity of the network. And when you, when you advantage one constituency over another constituency, you undermine the integrity of the network and then nobody trusts it. And you have to be able to extrapolate out a hundred years in order to trust it. So I, I think that uh, conservatism on the base layer is important. As for what I think will happen over the next 30 years, I have a model which is uh, multi-layered. I, I mean, this simple model, which is, okay, there's, there's a layer one and it does everything. That's just too simplistic and monolithic. And I just think it's wrong. It's intellectually bankrupt and wrong. Uh, that's, that's one of the problems with the, 10, 000, uh, the thousands of cryptos that think that they have to build layer ones to do transactions. It's just the wrong idea. The universe doesn't work with one element and it doesn't work at one frequency. A better idea is there's a monetary network that's the, that's the property base and that's Bitcoin. That's like granite or schist in, in Manhattan. And the speed with which you can move a million tons of schist in Manhattan is very slow. I mean, by, by that standard, if I told you I could move all of Central Park every 130 milliseconds, you would think I was magical. But Central Park hasn't moved in 100 years, maybe in 1,000 years. The bedrock under Manhattan is 200 million years old. You don't need to move the, the foundation of the world every, uh, you know, 
every millisecond in order to build the world. Then you need to build things on top of it. So the stuff on top of it are buildings. They last 100 years. And the things in the buildings are businesses. They last five years. And the people that are patronizing the business are consumers. They're in there for three hours. And so when you see the world moving at 100 million year frequency, a 100 year frequency, a five year frequency, and a three hour frequency, you realize that's life. Trying to make everything move at the same frequency is wrong. And trying to use the same elements is wrong. Like I want to build a building on schist. Well, how do I see through the window of a schist building? That makes no sense. Okay. So like most of these proof of stake networks, it's kind of like building a glass house on a beach. It's, it's a beautiful view. It lasts for a few years. A hurricane comes along, wipes it all out. And like, is there a place for a glass house on a beach? I don't know. How stable is the beach? Is it in a hurricane you know, tunnel? Um, a logical building is I have granite, I'm on schist, I have glass, and I have steel. Right? There's four elements. Right. I mean, it's common sense. Walk through Manhattan and look at the building. Steel, granite, on bedrock, looking through glass. Okay. If I took which of those elements do I take away? None of them. You need them all. Okay. So how's the world going to evolve? Well, the foundation is a is a very high integrity, highly secure stable layer one. The most stable one is Bitcoin. It's proof of work. It needs to be a commodity. It can't be a security. Can't have an issuer. It doesn't, you know, seven transactions a second is fine. It doesn't need to do any more than that. If I could move all of San Francisco every 135 milliseconds, it'd be too fast. It's fast enough. I just want to build something on San Francisco. You could put a hundred trillion dollars of monetary energy into the base layer. You could put $500 trillion of monetary energy into the base layer. Doesn't need any more functionality. We just need for no one to break it, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I say we don't really want well-meaning engineers like meddling with the base layer. Just don't break it. Leave it alone. Now, what's above it? Well, um, what makes Bitcoin ethical is the fact that it's open and permissionless without an issuer. So the layer two would be Lightning, which is an open permissionless transaction protocol, not moving or storing $500 billion of value, but storing $50,000 of value. If I reduce the amount of value at risk by a factor of a million, I can increase the speed by a factor of a million, right? And the functionality, I can decrease the cost of transactions by a factor of, of a million. So I think that it's clear the world wants one open permissionless, an open source protocol for transactions. It wants one for money. In theory, you know, the, the money monetary layer is a winner take all. We're going to collapse to that. That's Bitcoin. Could you have a competitor to Lightning? Yeah, in theory, right? You can create a, a competitor to Lightning. The thing that makes Lightning ethical is that it runs on the Bitcoin token, right? If you, if you run a, a crypto asset with a different token, it's probably a security, which makes it not ethical. So I think that you can create other open source protocols. Linux is an open source protocol, right? Lots of them. Sure. And then then moving to the last issue, uh, I don't think uh, the world wants currency. And current, so understand that money is composed of property and currency in the current environment. The currency is high velocity money 
and the property is low velocity money. And the reason that currencies will continue to exist, like the US dollar and the euro and the yen, is because nation states will continue to exist. So until the European Union crashes and the Japanese government crashes and the US government is gone, there will be a currency that's mandated as a medium of exchange by that nation state. So if you look out over the next 30 years, I'm not forecasting the fall of all nation states. I think that there'll be CNY, USD, Euro. I think there'll be shuffling of balance of power. I think that the killer app is a mobile wallet sitting on a, a, a phone delivered by Apple or Google or someone, uh, ideally Apple. Apple creates a mobile wallet, builds in a secure element that's like a hardware wallet, you know, as an authentication device, implements multi-factor authentication, gives you the ability to hold uh, digital euros, digital yen, digital pesos, digital dollars, and allows you to hold digital property like Bitcoin. Sure. And everybody on earth wants it. And as long as we have culture and nation states, you're going to have all those things. And what and the trend over the next 30 years is that the strongest digital property, a la Bitcoin, is going to eat into $500 trillion worth of property. Gold, precious metals, real estate, bonds, equity indexes, collectibles, however you store your money for the rest of your life. And then the strongest digital currency is going to eat into the economic value of the other currencies. Right now, there's probably a hundred and there's probably two hundred trillion dollars stored in currencies, currency derivatives, and and the sure. like. And the war is between the USD and the CNY, with you know with you know one one Western faction, one Eastern faction, and uh, and then the business opportunity is companies that can deliver a digital currency in a compliant fashion, like your firm, like Circle. And then companies that can help deliver and manage digital property in a compliant fashion. And then there'll be you know, all sorts of variations on that, country by country, you know, in every different industry. And I think those two trends are the trends of our lifetime, and they're going to continue. Yeah. I, 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 I buy that at a high level, for sure. I think um, um, you know, one of the things that's been an interesting question for me, even since I founded Circle nine years ago is, um, you know, does does the world return to um, essentially, uh, you know, commodity backed, uh, commodity backed fiat pegged currency models uh, versus entirely government debt money. You mean, will a country decide to back their currency with a gold or a Bitcoin? Is that well, what you mean? Or some other commodity? Yeah, yes. So, so a, a mixture of things. So, so I, I think one is, um, you know, I, I think one of the technical things that becomes possible with, with, with crypto is, um, you know, the, the ability to kind of have synthetic, uh, you know, synthetic expressions of cryptographic value. You could have, a, a synthetic uh, currency that is composed of an allocation of Bitcoin and an allocation of uh, uh, of government debt money and it, and and, and a, an attempt to have to, to have a, a ratio of that not unlike the gold standard as it existed in the post World War II era and, and certainly in, in prior eras in, in different parts of the world 
but um you know that that kind of um power law curve and that kind of in you know kind of as you noted right there's this ultimate kind of crowding out effect of uh, especially in a digitized currency world that takes place because of the extraordinary network effects that that come from digitization um but do, do those come together in a sense do, does digital property in the form of bitcoin and digital currency in the form of the predominant government debt monies do do does the world ultimately decide you know what we want to we want to have something on the on the on the fiat side that is more sound not just based on government debt and liability but actually you know is bu- built on a building up of reserves uh and and even treaties that exist amongst some group of nations around you know ratios of reserves or things like that um that ret- gradually returns the world towards a more sound money basis but acknowledges the fact that you still have people who live in nations and there's treasuries and there's taxes and there's all this good stuff. Well, you know, I, I think the constructive way to think about this is the the digital economy has six layers. Uh, the base layer, the layer one is Bitcoin. It's It's the property layer, the monetary foundation. The layer two is lightning, an open transaction protocol or a competitor to it. Layer three is an app, an application like Cash App or PayPal that moves it around. Layer four is a derivative. MicroStrategy is a Bitcoin derivative, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it, any company, GBTC is a Bitcoin derivative. Beto is a Bitcoin derivative. Sure. But any any company that issues a security yeah. backed by Bitcoin has created a derivative. Another form of derivative is any country that issues a currency that is backed by Bitcoin also becomes a Bitcoin derivative. Currency is just like the stock of a country. Sure. sure. And then layer, layer five is Bitcoin products like Open Dime, or when you, when you embed some asset into the hardware device. Mm-hmm. And layer six is a service like insurance or any kind of other uh, offering that, that has Bitcoin or, or some of that embedded in it, a digital asset. So if we come back to the, your question, which is, will countries do it? Well, you know, the countries were on a gold standard till 1914, and everybody gets off the gold standard. And the Treaty of Genoa in 22, I guess, is a gold reserve standard. Right. And then, you know, we eventually have a Bretton Woods, another gold reserve standard. But we we were never one-to-one backed. We, were, we had a, a, uh, a small ratio of right. gold. And maybe the ratio was 100% in 1914, and maybe it was 40 or 30% at Bretton Woods or 20%. And it was probably 5% by 1971 when we threw it all away. So I think that um, if we look at this, it's really a question of how solid is the economy of the country. And probably you'll see sovereign wealth funds go first. Like Norway or or Middle Eastern sovereign wealth funds, it would be much easier for them to move first into digital assets and a, and a strong Bitcoin position. And then uh, at some point, does it make sense? It makes total sense. Like for example, it's probably worth a trillion dollars to the Saudis to do this, mm-hmm. right? If if you're holding 
if you're holding $500 billion worth of sovereign debt, reasonably speaking, you're losing 10 to 15% of your value a year. So it's a $75 billion a year cost to use uh, a currency instrument or currency derivative as your treasury asset. And if you flip the Bitcoin, it would probably be like an effective $25 billion to $50 billion a year benefit. So you're talking about $100 billion a year over 10 years or a trillion dollars just mm -hmm. to flip your treasury asset. But I think that um, we're still early such that you know the immaturity of the crypto industry in general with regard to regulatory clarity and the like keeps a lot of the really big money from entering the space. And you know, if you establish uh, compliance securities, if you fix the accounting, if you establish you know, banking guidelines for how banks can custody this stuff, when that happens, I think you'll see bigger institutional investors go into the asset. I think the governments are normally conservative. But the ones that the ones that are most likely to go are the ones that have the the biggest upside, the biggest benefit, right? And they and they're not in fear, right? And there there is a political element which is you know like the Qaddafi element. If you look like you're organizing a different currency, maybe your regime will disappear. Right, right, right. That makes sense. I, I mean, I I think. Um... I'm 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 always interested in in. I'm not holding my breath for the countries that do it. It's, it's yeah. the summary of that. Nor do they need to. Yeah, it's 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 um. The next step is families and companies to sure, establish sure. it as a treasury asset. I, I see the treasury asset growth as being the predominant theme over the next you know you know ten uh, ten years or or so or or, or what have you. Um, but it's it, you know I think it's um you know we're we're also I think going to see um, rapid growth in the utility of, you know, fiat digital currency models like USDC, et cetera, uh, that will just continue to have greater regulatory certainty, greater velocity. Uh, will will you know will kind of create a, a a little bit of a digital currency arms race that is happening and has internet scale and reaches eventually billions of people. And I and I just I wonder that if that combined with the treasury asset development that you're talking about might drive towards that synthetic model sooner rather than later because people will determine that that's actually safer uh, that it's just a, it's a safer a safer model it's for, rational yeah it's ra it's rational we just don't know how long it takes and how many people adopt the rational thing yeah yeah yeah, no, it's fascinating. Um, it's it's literally something I've, I've thought about for a very long time, and and um, you know, look, uh, in some ways, you know, the last nine years for me at least is like, wow, that's nine years. It's a long time. It's gone really fast. On the other hand, but I, you know, it's 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 uh, just given where we are on the on the adoption curve, and it seems to be accelerating. Like the next nine years will be pretty pretty dramatic. You know what I. What I think, Jeremy, when I look at the at, at uh, the digital currency areas, you know, in your business, you've been uh, you've got Tether, you've got your offering, you had UST, and you, so one of the currencies was not backed by anything, right? The other currency is maybe backed by something, right? And your currency is, you know, your offering is the most transparent, 
Mm-hmm. Back to this issue of is it technically sound, ethically sound, and economically sound? Well, your yours is the most technically and ethically sound. And the question was, with interest rates at 0%, if you store all your $50 billion at 0%, where's the economic yeah. model? Sure. Luckily for you, I'm staring at the swap curve. And right now, the one-year swap is 344 basis points. Believe it or not, the 30-year swap on the U.S. dollar is 287 basis points. So the yield curve is inverted, but now there's a there's a reasonable you know ability to get to a, a one-year risk-free yield of three and a half percent, which means that now you look at a conservative, uh, responsibly constructed digital currency, and you say there's an economic model for that. Right. And um, and you don't really need to reach for yield by playing with DeFi and screwing with all these other mental gymnastics that are either ethically not sound or economically not sound or technically, you know, you're going to get yourself hacked in some random protocol. So that leads me to my next observation, which it seems like the next stop is, you know, $50 billion in circle becomes $500 billion in circle. And the real dynamic here, which is not controversial, like, like everybody, every nation state adopting Bitcoin as its treasury reserve asset is controversial, and that's a heavy lift. What's not controversial is everybody in South America, everybody in Africa, everybody in Asia, everybody in, in the rest of the world wants dollars. For digital currency dollars. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Look at my tweet this morning. The Austra- you know, the dollar is strengthened against the Australian currency 10% in a year, uh, against the pound 16%, against the euro 17%, yeah. against the Japanese yen 24%, and against the Turkish lira 102%. Right. So that the totally, you know, non-controversial observation is in an inflationary environment, I ought to just swap my local currency for yeah. dollars on my smartphone. Yes. Right. I can't, I can't right. trust the bank. Right. They're going to be capped. Have, have economic freedom alongside it, have transactional freedom alongside it, uh, and, and you know, kind of vote with your smartphone what economic system you're going to participate in. And why shouldn't that expand by an order of magnitude in a hurry? Yeah. Pro- it probably should. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah, short I mean, term... I mean, I- I think we're we're certainly we're of the view that we could get to you know a trillion USDC in circulation, um, and uh, I, you know we we don't put a specific date on that, but um, but our, our view is you know it, it also carries with it the 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 uh, you know we're, we're in registration to become a don't mess it up. Yeah, yeah, don't want to mess it up. Yeah, be, yeah, you want to be public, you want to be transparent, you want to lock down all of your controls. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think and, like, and disclosures can continue to yes continue with that transparency and disclosure and regulatory clarity and 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 I think also you know there's technological things too right which is continuing to ensure that um, this can work economically for people everywhere that they can uh, with a piece of software merely you know a, a piece of mobile software be able to transact you know for you know pennies pennies on the dollar so to speak. Um, uh, that uh, that it becomes super super you know capital efficient and and that you know can scale and, and other things and by the way we're we're quite excited about lightning we're quite excited about tarot um, other innovations that are happening in layer two 
on Bitcoin, leveraging Bitcoin's fundamental soundness and security and what that could mean for, for things like USDC as well. So I think um, we're, we're paying really close attention to kind of these overall layered architectures and, 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 and how that can, can translate uh, as well. I think what the world wants is uh, the world wants a public, transparent, trustworthy entity to issue digital dollars that run on lightning rails to 8 billion smartphones at the speed of light for free. Totally. And, th and then they want lots of different ways to get at that. And, and the real digital transformation is 8 billion people manipulating digital property and digital currency on their smartphone as a store of value, a medium of exchange, yeah. a unit of account. Yeah. Think globally, right? The, the US dollar is going to become the unit of account in South America. Yeah. Right. Before Bitcoin becomes the unit of account everywhere, the sure. US dollar is going to be the unit of account. And that's that's going to be this dominant, uh, the dominant trend of the next decade. Yeah. And they all work together. What the world doesn't want is it doesn't want an opaque company, poorly capitalized non-transparent that's uh that's issuing an unregistered security right. that may or may not be deemed non-compliant right. you know and they don't want some random dude that lives on some island somewhere to monkey with the protocol yeah. Yeah. right and so so there's a lot of stuff that just isn't industrial strength yeah and it what what will you'll know that we've reached the next stage when when Amazon clears billions of dollars totally. via a digital currency for global remittance. Absolutely. You know, and when a, when a, a government, when legitimate nation states, when they, in, when they buy a billion dollars of Bitcoin to store, yeah. when they're moving a billion dollars of circle and moving a billion dollars of Bitcoin, yeah. right? Then, you know, you're good. And the question you got to ask yourself is, well, what does it take for that to happen? And the answer is obvious. It's they have to trust it. Mm -hmm. And the trust comes with, you know, regulatory clarity, you know, understanding integrity, security. Yeah. It's like, who, who do you trust? And, yeah. and public companies, right, are if I must, if I must trust a company, United States based public companies yeah. are at the top of the food chain because of all of the legal and, and cultural expectations about performance of a public company. Yeah. And if you haven't been a public company officer, you don't really understand, you know, like, well, what, what, this is just all a headache. Why do I have to go through the trouble? And what, what people don't realize is, you know, coming like MicroStrategy, we have a hundred lawyers and accountants and we sit and huddle and we obsess yeah. over every clause in every every contract, every agreement, not only whether to enter into it, but then how to disclose it. And then we obsess over how to control for it and how to audit it yeah. continually. Yeah. And and your failure is not making a mistake, right? Lots of people in the crypto industry made a mistake. Oh, I made a $700 million uncollateralized loan. That's a mistake. The, the failure is not just not disclosing it. Oh, I made it, but I didn't tell you I made it. The failure sometimes is fourth order. There's a person responsible for checking to see whether that was disclosed properly, and that person lapsed in their IT account, so we fired them. 
So the degree of of uh, care, due care, yeah. right, and yeah. and adult supervision and responsibility is there's a backup to a backup to a backup looking at this totally different level, totally different level. And yeah. that's what the world wants before they move billions of dollars it's around it's, on it's, crypto it's, rails. A lot of people ask me, you know, when, when we decided to, to start the process of becoming a public company, which was a year ago or, or a little over a year ago, um, people are like, why do you want to do that? And it was all about transparency and accountability and control structures and how important that was in our business. Like that is critical. If we don't have that, people will not build on this. People will not, they will not build on it. And, and so like to, to us, it's, that is like extraordinarily valuable. You know, no matter how my company stock trades, like what's valuable is that for ultimately the product company and what we are and who we are, that's what matters. And having being held to the highest standards is really, really critical. So, you know, that's that's really the foundational reason. And people even ask me now, like, well, it's a crappy market, stocks are down, things, this and that. Why would you want to be public? And it's it's still the same reason. It's still the same reason. I, I'm not looking at this through a short-term lens of, you know, what's the valuation going to be next quarter or the quarter after that. It's gotta be like this is not just belts and suspenders. This is foundational stuff. It's really, really key. I appreciate your comments and, and insights around that, Michael. It's spot on, you know, certainly kind of punctuates uh, as well, I think, very much how, how we've been thinking. You know, you know, there's, it's worth sharing as a public company, it, we could spend a year vetting a counterparty and it, it would take us a year if we went fast, if yeah. it was urgent. It's a one-year process. And in that one-year process, we have to get comfortable with the management team, the product, all the con contractual relationships, the history of the company from some time immemorial. Then we have to vet their auditors, their lawyers, yeah. right? Their controls and, and any other relationships they have. And if all of those things check out, if our, and by the way, then our auditors have to trust their auditors. Yeah. Our lawyers have to trust their lawyers. Yeah. You know, all of those things have to align for us to decide to give you a single dollar, right? That's the price you pay. And that's right. just how the world works. But yeah. on the other hand, if you can jump through that hoop, we can give you a billion dollars as quickly as we can give you one dollar. Right. And, and once you understand that, you realize the right thing to do, right, is do the work. Yeah. Go public. It's more expensive. It's going to cost you more lawyers, more accountants, more time. You have to be more careful. You might have to like shed yourself of some part of your business, which is deemed to be too risky. Right. Right. That it's just, you know, it's the right way to grow if you want to be an industrial strength institutional provider. Yeah. And, and if you want to, you know, live in a gray zone and be an entrepreneur, you just don't do it, but you're not going to get big. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty cool. Well, look, um, this has been a great, great conversation and, and, and really, really grateful to have you on and, um, we'll definitely want to have you back <laughs> and, and, uh, there's, uh, this is, this is, uh, we're going to be checking in on, on the status of these things every, uh, every, you know, every year. Um, and, uh, and, you know, just also just excited to be 
pursuing these big ideas with people like you and and uh and and, and building towards this this future which i think we both see really clearly onward and upward awesome thank you michael same to you Thank <laughs> you.